Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. On Easter Sunday, we are talking about a very familiar scene that many of you have seen before. Whether you are a Christ follower or not, you're familiar with the, the countryside and the hill that exists with the three crosses that are, uh, that are erected on that hillside. If you don't know what they are, I'll tell you. It's Jesus in the middle, and there's criminals, these two thieves that were crucified next to him. Now, when we read the story of these thieves, we find that there's not a lot of information in the Bible. We don't know much. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what they ultimately did or who they stole from or how many crimes they committed. We have no idea. We do know that they are bad guys and that both of them interacted with Jesus at some point in time. The first one hurled insults at Jesus and said, if you're God, the son of God, come and save yourself and us. But the second one had a very short and simple conversation with Jesus that changed his eternity, and it just might change yours. And so the repentant thief says to Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at that criminal, the guy who deserved to be hanging on that cross, and he says the most grace-filled statement to him. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's the picture that I want to open with and and we're going to look at today. Before we get to that, I want to ask you a question to kind of bring you into the story. On a scale of 1 to 100, how good are you? Now, 1 being like, I'm the worst person ever, and 100 being Jesus. And none of you are Jesus, just so you know. So all of you have a number. So the 100s, the lower ends are like the Charles Mansons, the Hitlers, Nickelback, and those that like Michigan. Or on the higher end of that scale are, uh, are like the Mother Teresa's, the Billy Graham, and that guy who created Chipotle, whoever that was. Uh, but, but, but decide where your number is on a scale of 1 to 100 and turn to somebody sitting next to you and go ahead and tell them your number now. Go ahead and do that now. Turn to somebody and tell them, this is my number. This is where I feel I rank on that scale of 1 to 100. Tell them now. Be, be full confession. This is me. All right, now if you've taken the opportunity to do that, if you're feeling a little bold, let's just tell everybody, all right? So here's what we'll do. If you ranked yourself somewhere in the scale of 1 to 30, go ahead and shoot your hand up. Come on, be honest. That's all right. Ushers, keep an eye on these people, please, if you don't mind. (laughs) We're glad you're here Easter Sunday. All right. Uh, If you would say that you rank in that 30 to 50 range, 30 to 50s, come on, shoot your hand up. You said, that's me. I'm in the... 30 to 50. Listen, you guys that are in that range, that lower half range, be encouraged. So you exist so the upper half of the range can exist. That's, that's just really nice of you to be there. All right, so uh, let's look at the next one. That is 50 to 80. 50 to 80. Who's the 50 to 80s? Oh, come on, good people. Get your hands up. That's all right. And those of you that are 80 to 100, who says you're an 80 to 100? Anybody, anybody out there? Nobody. We had one last service. That was, I was like, wow, you are just full of yourself. You think you are so good, don't you? Well, anyway, I, I love that, and it's, it's interesting how you decided your number. 
Because most of you probably went through a process of like, all right, what number am I? And you might have gone through a process where you decided your number compared to other people. So you decided who you were based on who other people are in your life. You looked at them and made a comparison. There's some danger to that and some things you'll discover that when you make a comparison, the first thing you'll understand as you compare yourself to other people is that doing that will help you feel better about yourself. That's not a bad place to be. We all want to feel better about ourselves. When you compare yourself to some people, you think, well, I don't cuss. Not like they do. I mean, I cuss a little, but I like Jesus and love him, you know. Or, or I, I'm not a bad person. Have you met my sibling? Like, do you know them? I try to live right and honest. I give to charity. I go to church on Easter and Christmas and occasionally throughout the rest of the year. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody, and I don't cheat on my taxes as much as everybody else does. I'm a good person. And compared to some people, you consider who you consider bad, it makes you look pretty good. And it makes you feel good. When you compare to others, though, you see yourself, you feel worse about yourself. These are the people that are in your life that seem to have it all together. And when you compare yourself to them, you're like, dang, I am inadequate, insufficient in every area of my life. Like, for instance, if you're a mom in this room, and you know that one mom, she seems to have it, like, all together. You know, what I, you know who I'm talking about, right? Now, don't point at them if they're in the room. That's not nice. I don't mean that. But, but they got it all together. They're like Mary Poppins. They're practically perfect in every way. They got perfect hair. They got three kids running around, and you don't understand how they got perfect hair. They always dress nice. They're not they're dressed nice. They're not in sweatpants and, and a tank top like you are with your hair done up in a bun. Their hair is always nice, and they look good. Nails are always done. Their house always looks good. Their kids say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Always well-behaved. Their Pinterest projects, they, never ha- they, they always get a hashtag nailed it. They never have a Pinterest fail. Y'all know who I'm talking about. They make you feel inadequate as a mom. You're like, I'm just sitting over here like not them, and I'm not a good mom because of your comparison to them. Others of you, you know that one guy in your life that he's just got everything together. He's got all the money. He's got the nice car. He's got the best job opportunities. He travels everywhere you want to go. He's incredibly successful, and it makes you feel inadequate as a provider for your own home because you can't provide in the way that he provides for his family. Or others of you, you're a Christ follower, and you hang out with other, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you just got that one person that, that you just, you, you standing next to them, you hear them pray, you wonder if you're even saved. Anybody know somebody like that? Like, they talk to Jesus so eloquently. Like, if I, how many Father Gods do I need to pray when I'm talking to him? Father God, I pray, Father God, that you, Father God, will come, Father God, down here, Father God, and help me, Father God. Do I need to talk to God with all the thys and the thous, the King James Version? Does he only hear those prayers? Because I'm not familiar with that. Because my prayers, the length of them is God. Help. And that's all I know how to talk to him about. That person makes you feel inadequate as a Christian. It's funny, isn't it? When you compare yourselves to others, you feel good or you feel worse. Today I want to look at two people that were very, very different. 
than the man that they were hanging on the cross next to. Two thieves were hanging next to Jesus. These guys weren't good. But Jesus, Jesus was so good. And the story that we're going to share brings out a very, very, very important truth about good people that we need to see. So let's jump into Luke 23 and verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, not good guys, by the way, were also led out with Christ to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, now this wasn't a scary place, by the way. This is an actual hill called Golgotha. But when you looked at it, it looked like a skull, and this is where they crucified Jesus. So they're just calling it the skull. And there they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So who's next to him? Criminals. These are some bad dudes. They are the lowest of the low. And I need you to understand why this is important. Because these guys were crucified. And crucifixion was not the only way that the Romans would execute people. They saved this type of execution for the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad. There are several reasons for that. Because look, a Roman, a Roman would never crucify another Roman. It was very rare that it happened. And they would use crucifixion to humiliate and to torture people as they killed them. On top of all these things, crucifixion was super expensive. So they didn't crucify every bad person. Because it would take soldiers who were tortured or who were trained to torture somebody, to beat them literally within an inch of their life. That they knew if they hit a man one more time, he would die, and so they'd stop. It would take four soldiers to hold down the prisoner while they nailed him to the cross. It would take a Roman centurion to oversee it all. And then as they hung on the cross, it would take days for that person to die. As they slowly died of exhaustion. As animals landed on them and picked at their flesh, the soldiers would have to stand there and guard them lest someone come and take them down and save them. This was an expensive process. So not everybody was crucified. It was saved just for those guys who were the worst of the worst. And here Jesus is, hanging on this cross. In fact, there was a sign that was attached to his cross that said King of the Jews on it because the people had declared him as king. And they said, Jesus, this is what we think of you. You're a slave. You're a dog. That's why we're going to crucify you. And so Jesus hung there between two thieves, the worst of the worst. And it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. And he asked him a question. He said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other, other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. To the guy who deserved death, the guy who could not amend for his sins, Jesus says, today you'll be in heaven with me. You'll be in paradise. And the story gives us a truth and speaks to a common misunderstanding that most of us have. And that is that good people go to heaven. Because we all want to believe that. Because if good people go to heaven, here's my question. Where is the line that determines who's good and who's not? Is it people that would rank themselves as 50 and above? Do you have to be in the 80 or above bracket? 
And who determines that line? Do you get to decide? Do I get to decide because I'm a pastor? Or does your family get to decide because they know you the best? Who decides that? And what determines that line? Is it how good you are, the good things that you do? Is it your church attendance? Is it your giving record? Is it how much you love Chipotle? I don't know. Could be. What determines that line? Because most people want to believe that they're going to heaven if they're good enough. The problem is, the guy on the cross, the thief, he wasn't a good guy. He wasn't good enough. And yet, he was going to heaven. And so the story shares an important point that we need to catch is that good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. It's not good people that are going there. There's a huge difference. See, good people don't go to heaven because there's none of us that's good. The Bible tells us that the only one that's good is God. He's the only one that's good. All the rest of us, in comparison to God's standard, are bad. None of us are good. That's why there's good news. That's why it's good to know that good people don't go to heaven, that forgiven people do. It's important we know that. And so there's a couple things I want to look at that the that the forgiven criminal did, that if we apply him to our lives, we can see the same result. The first thing the forgiven criminal did was that he admitted his wrong. It says that we are punished justly. This is him talking to the other thief. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he was confessing out loud. Listen, we've made some mistakes. We deserve this. Where we're hanging right now is because of the choices we've made. This is on us. Pick me. I'm the bad guy. That's it. He confessed his sin. He confessed his mistakes. He owned it. You say, Aaron, that's what you want me to do? That's what we need to do. But that makes me uncomfortable. I get it. Because we all want to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm better than that person. Well, that's the wrong comparison. So you can't compare yourself to another person. You need to compare yourself to God. And when you compare to him, you understand that, that Jesus is a 100. And because he's a 100, you need to understand that we're all zeros. We're zeros. We're absolutely at the other end. We're not good. I know a lot of you think because I'm a pastor and because God called me to ministry that I got it all together, that I'm perfect, that I'm good that I make good decisions and good choices. I wish that were the truth. But it's not. I'm not a good person. Let me tell you, when I first started ministry years ago, when I was, in my 19, I was 19 or 20 years old, I was serving in a youth ministry, and I had gotten close with a bunch of the kids in the youth ministry, and, and I took one of them on a trip with me. I went down to West Virginia. See, I, I also do sleight of hand magic and balloon sculptures, and somebody hired me to come do a family reunion. Well, I took this young man with me. He was about 13 years old. And we went down to West Virginia. I did the gig, and on our way home, we stopped at the fireworks store. We signed that little sheet saying we wouldn't take the fireworks out of the state of West Virginia, and then we did, you know. And so the story goes, I'm driving home, and uh, the speed limit in this certain stretch of highway goes from 65, it drops down to 55. And it's one of those little divided highways like we have out on 33 where you can make a right or a left off the highway to go down any of the, the roads instead of getting off on a ramp, you know. 
And, uh, and so I'm driving down this road, and we're just jawing and talking and laughing. And next thing I know, I'm going 70 miles an hour, which is just five over the speed limit. Because you know if you just go five over, they won't really bust you. Don't judge me. <laughs> so I'm going 70, because I think it's 65, and I see the sign that says 55, so I slow down. Well, we start talking again, and I'm just used to the 65 or 70 mile an hour speed limit, and I wind up back at 70 miles an hour, and then it happens. I'm driving this way, and I see an officer up here. Now, they weren't parked. They were headed the opposite way. And I did what any decent person would do. I slammed on my brakes real hard. And then I let off them as soon as the officer got past me because I didn't want them to see my red lights were on. Because if they see them, then they know that you know that you know they know, you know. I don't want to draw attention to myself. So, so I slowed down really fast and decided to coast. Well, that officer turned on its lights, and I pulled over, and he, they got down the highway and turned around in one of the, the spaces where you could turn, and then they came up behind me and busted me. Is what I'd like to tell you that I did. I did not do that. With a 13-year-old youth in my front seat. I hammered on that gas, and I drove as fast as I could down that highway because I knew that they had to go this way and find a way to turn around. And then I made a left-hand turn at the first turn I could because I knew they might have to slow down to cut across traffic. Then I saw my opportunity. So I turned left hard, went across down this road, and went around this bend and underneath a bridge. And there I saw a road that led down to a farmer's house, and so I took it. And they had some trees and stuff that would hide us, and so we pulled right up close to them trees and that bush, and we hid there. We sat, and we waited. I'm such a good example for the kids in my youth ministry. <laughs> Running from the cops. I heard, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? I didn't hear that. So we waited. Well, I felt like the coast was clear. We didn't see anything. I backed up. We pulled back out to the little road that we had gone down. It was a gravel road that we pulled off on the highway. And that cop went speeding past us, slammed on their brakes, backed up, turned on their lights, woo, busted me right there. Didn't say a thing about me running. I was thankful for that. Later that day on our way home, after we got home, I lit off those fireworks in my backyard. I'm pretty sure I burned down an apartment complex across the street that was under construction. Uh, but that's a whole other story for a whole other time. See, I'm not good. I don't make good choices. I'm not perfect. What about you? Are you good? Really? And if you feel that way, can I take you down a few notches and help you out? Let's play a game. If you've ever lied before, why don't you shoot your hand up and let me see your hand. Now, if you look around, keep them up. If you look around and see somebody with their hand down, look at them and call them liar because they're lying right now. All right, you put your hands down. So if you've ever lied, then you are a, a liar. Yeah, you're a liar. How about anybody ever stolen anything, shoplifted? I have. I've stolen from stores. I've stolen from my family. Anybody ever stolen anything? So if you've ever stolen anything, that makes you a, yeah, it makes you a thief. Now this one, don't raise your hand on this one. Just kind of give me a little eyebrow raise, all right? You'll see why. If you've ever had a lustful thought before, just kind of give me one of those. I got one guy over here, he's going... Oh, right now? (laughs) 
If you've ever had a lustful thought, Jesus says that if you look lustfully on someone, then you've committed adultery with them. So if you've committed adultery with them, then you are an adulterer. Yeah, you're an adulterer. Anybody here ever put something before God and said, God, you're not as important as this thing? If you ever ever done that before, it's called idolatry. And so if you've committed idolatry, you're an idolater, right? So what I'm telling you, just in case you're confused, is that you are a lying, thieving, adulterer, an idolater. Welcome to Simple Church, where we preach encouraging and uplifting messages. <laughs> You're not good, and I'm not good either. We're, we're just not good people, not by God's standards. When we compare to him, we see clearly who we are. The Bible says this, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. What does that mean? That means if you don't sin as much as everybody else, or you don't sin in all the ways that someone else does, yet you sin in one area of your life, you're just as guilty as those that have sinned in all the different ways. The law is clear. If you break the law in one point, you offend the whole law. It doesn't matter. And God's saying, hey, listen, you're, you've fallen short in your behaviors. Every single one of you had, because there's none of us that are good except God. So when we look at this criminal, we find that this forgiven criminal just simply admits he's wrong. And we need to do the same. The second thing the forgiven criminal does is he asks for eternal help. He asks for eternal help. Both of them ask for help. But one of it is asking for help in this life. Like he asks the question, hey, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. He was asking for help in this life. We do this a lot. You and I, we do this, especially when we first came to know God or even if we don't know who he is. The first prayers we ever prayed is, hey, if you're real or if you're all powerful, there's this job I'd like to get. Or hey, if you can even hear me, I'm in jail and if you get me out, I'll live for you. I'll know you're real. Or, hey, since you got all the power, how about you help me? I got cancer in my body or keep my Mima from dying. We ask God initially for help in this life. But that's not what the forgiving criminal did. He asked for help in his eternal life. Says, he says, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, both thieves were guilty. Both thieves were suffering severely. Both of them were dying. Both of them needed saving. They needed help. And both of them heard and saw the same thing during those six hours that Jesus hung on the cross. But one was forgiven and the other wasn't. The reality today is, is that all of us in here are one of those two thieves. You're one of them. There's two people sitting side by side that will respond differently today. One of you will receive God's love. You'll come to know him today. And making that decision, that step towards him will totally transform your life. Your eternity will be changed. Your life will be changed. Others of you, you're going to hear the same message, and you're going to check Easter Sunday off your list, and you're going to walk out the door and say, what's for lunch? 
nothing changed about your life at all. It's interesting. You both hear the same message. One gets changed. The other does not. The other doesn't because they think their number matters. They think how good they are is what matters. But what number you are doesn't matter. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he makes up whatever the difference is on your number. So if you're here today and you're a 12, Jesus is an 88. If you're a 34, he's the 66. He makes up the difference. But it's in relationship. It's in conjunction with him that makes all the difference. In reality, he's a 100 and we're zero. That's what the situation is. And when we step into him, when we place our faith and hope in him, we take his 100 and put it on like it's our coat. And now I'm a 100 because I'm in Christ. Because of what he did on the cross, we receive that. We get to have his righteousness all because we call on him. The Bible couldn't say it any clearer than this. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. In other words, doing what the law says, obeying all the rules. It says, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, the law doesn't exist as a checklist so that when you do it, you say, I've done all the good things, and this is what makes me worthy of righteousness. This is what makes me worthy of heaven. No, the law exists to show you that you cannot do all the things. You can't do all the stuff that's necessary, and that's why you need a Savior. That's why it exists. Verse 21 continues and says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to who? To all. To all who believe. It's righteousness from faith. Your right standing with God does not come from the things that you do. It's not from how good of a person you are. It's not from your good works, your church attendance. It's not about that. It's about faith in Christ alone. It's declaring your need. Saying, I don't got this. I'm a mess. I've made mistakes. And I need your help. That's all it is. That's faith. We can't help ourselves, because really, if you could help yourself, you'd have done it already. That mess you're in, if you could fix it, wouldn't you have? We can't. That's why we need a savior. We can't be perfect, only Christ can be. Our salvation comes from faith in Christ alone. Because let me help you understand, the forgiven thief could not turn over a new leaf. He was stuck on the cross. He couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't do any good works. He couldn't give any money to charity. He couldn't start over and say, from this day forward, I'll never do this. And from this day forward, I'll always make sure I do that. He didn't have a day forward. He was done. His time was up. Nothing except trust in Christ. So it was faith in him alone, not his works. Reality is today, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're only forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. When he hung there and died, 
bled. And he rose from the dead on the third day. That's what we're celebrating this weekend. That Jesus is risen. And because of that, our sins are forgiven. Because of that, you can be transformed and made new. Because of that, you can have help with your eternity and live a full and fulfilled life here on this earth. Because of that, because he's risen. Because he's risen, you're not a 22 or a 70. You're a 100 in him. And that's why today we can boldly declare God's word that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The bottom line today, guys, is that you're one of two thieves in this room. One thief saw something the other missed. And when he saw it, it changed his life. I'm not sure what that was. I'm not sure if he saw Jesus being tortured and beaten and not say a word about it. We don't know if he heard Jesus as he hung on the cross, soldiers crucifying him. And he whispered a prayer that said, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. We don't know if it's because he saw the sky fall black as night. We don't know if it's because he heard that Jesus loved and befriended sinners. We have no idea what it is that that thief heard or knew or saw. But we do know this. Whatever he saw transformed his life. And he put his faith in Christ and asked him to remember him. And Jesus said, in response to his faith, not to his good works, not to who he had been in this life, but to his faith, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would just open our eyes. Lord, that you would just let us see you. I pray today that you would let faith rise in response to hearing about your love and acceptance for us. Because there's many of us in this room, we felt like we've not been good enough for your love, and truly we're not. None of us are. But you're that good, that even when we're not good enough, you still give us your love, you still give us your grace and your mercy. You are in pursuit of us. We thank you for that. And God, today we ask you to help us to receive that grace. As we continue to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, for some of you, I need you to know that you're not here by accident today. Some of you wondered, how did I get myself in this mess? I'm in a church on Easter Sunday. I'm going to tell you that you're here by divine appointment today. What does that mean? That means that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose in you being here with us today. His greatest desire for you is for you to know him. To know his grace, to know his love, and his mercy. So that when he steps into your life, he can transform it. So today is your opportunity, like the thief hanging on the cross. You're not good, and neither am I. We all need God, God's grace. Which thief will you be? Will you leave here with nothing changed today? Or will you take this opportunity to say, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. 
can't go back in time and amend for my wrongs. But today I'm ready to receive Jesus. And if that's you, if you're in this place and you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Help me eternally. I've made a mess of things. I'm going to pray a prayer today. And if you're here and you'd like to be counted in on that prayer, nobody's looking around. Would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me today. Would you just do that? Yeah, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you back there. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. That's awesome. Listen, church, we're going to pray together. For those of you making that commitment today, you know, the Bible says that what you need to do is, is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's something we call prayer. And even if you don't know the words, I'll give you the words. You just need to mean them as you pray them. So church, let's pray together so that nobody's praying by themselves. Let's say, Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe he's your son and that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I give you my life. Would you give me yours? Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now listen, the Bible says if you prayed that prayer today, that all of heaven is literally having a party over you. Church, come on, let's join that party and celebrate with people. Let them know they made the best decision of their life. For those of you that made that commitment today, I would love for you to take that connection card and on the back just mark and say, listen, I gave my life to Jesus today. We're going to invite our service hosts to come forward at this time. And, and before I have them serve you, I want you to know that I'm so proud of you for making a step towards a relationship with Jesus. And most people get here and they go, okay, Aaron, now what? What do I do? Well, I'm going to tell you, we prepared something for you called Growth Track. We do it every Sunday and there's four easy steps. We start step one next Sunday during second service. That's, at, that's the 11 o'clock service. And we do that in our conference room. And it's called step one. And it'll help you understand. Each of the four steps will help you understand your spiritual journey, what God has for you. You'll meet other people along the way because you know what? You're not meant to do this by yourself. Make the commitment today. I'm going to go to Growth Track. And if you're new with us as a church, uh, we would love to have you go to Growth Track as well. It'll teach you a lot about who we are so you understand how you can be involved and, and be a part of the vision that God has given us as a church. Amen? Make that commitment. Decide next Sunday. I'm jumping in. It's step one, growth track, second service. All right? At this time, we'll receive our offering. So let's uh, pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done and are doing in us. We celebrate the risen sun today on Easter Sunday. Thank you for that, God. We pray that you receive this offering, that you're honored by it, Lord, and that you help us take every dollar and reach more people with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing.